Log Talk Radio. Hello, Nats Town. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page and FederalBaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball. I've got Dave Nichols from the District Sports page on the line. After the Nationals beat the Reds 5-1, to improved the 80 and 76 on the year. But the big news of the day, Dave, we'll start with the press releases and comments by Matt Williams and Mike Rizzo. Jonathan Papelbon suspended for four games for his part in the dugout brawl with Bryce Harper yesterday. I'll just read as quickly as I can what Matt Williams said before the game. I'm sure, as you're all aware, we've suspended Jonathan Papelbon for four games without pay, reflecting how seriously we take the incident in the dugout yesterday. Also, additionally, for his part in the altercation, Bryce Harper will be out of the lineup today. At the time I left you yesterday, decisions had not been made. I told you that it was an internal matter. When I said that, I meant it because there is a process to this. It does not mean that we didn't take it seriously, but I was not going to open that process publicly. When I left the room and was able to view the footage of yesterday's incident, I was upset. I was appalled. I think the punishment that we announced today fits and reflects the feeling that we have about the tolerance of issues such as this and the standards we hold all of our players and organization to. Rizzo added the behavior exhibited by Papelbon yesterday is not acceptable. That is not at all in line with the way our players are expected to conduct themselves, and the Nationals organization will not tolerate it in any way. Combined with his three-game suspension from MLB, which he dropped his uh, challenge of, he's going to miss the remainder of the season. He's not getting paid for four of those days at least. What do you think about the Nationals' decision to send Papelbon packing at least for the rest of this year? They've held open what's going to happen with him next year at this point. Well, I think it's completely appropriate. I mean, his actions yesterday uh, were, frankly, atrocious. Uh, You know, it's one thing if you feel that your teammate isn't hustling to say something to him in the quiet of the locker room or to say something to a manager or coach to have them express those ideas, but to yell at your own teammate from the top step of the dugout and then wait for him to come into the dugout, wait till he's below you on a step, and then come down at him and your first reaction is to take your hand on his throat, that is completely unacceptable. And um, and had, had Matt Williams had better control of his uh, dugout yesterday uh, and had known what the situation was, he would not have let him go out to pitch the ninth inning. Uh, he would have sent him off immediately. Um, but after the fact, after being able to review the video, um, you know, the Nationals, Mike Rizzo, did the absolute right thing by suspending Papelbon for the rest of the season. It's just it's just absolutely no way to behave um, as a professional baseball player. I mean, this is twice now in the past week that Papelbon has resorted to violence for what he thought were infractions against the unwritten rules of baseball. He threw up and in, eventually hitting Manny Machado, one of the three or four best hitters, young hitters in the game, and then he went in, and then Papelbon attacked his own teammate um, for what he thought was not running out of pop fly, regardless of the fact that Harper was on first base by the time the, the pop-up landed anyway. So um, just a completely uh, appropriate response by Mike Rizzo to just an unconscionable act by uh, Jonathan Papelbon. Mike Rizzo was asked after the game today. He met with the media for about 10 minutes, answered all the questions they had, one of them was whether or not Papelbon will be back in 2016. His answer, he's under contract. We're going to evaluate every moving part that we have after the season. We'll make all those decisions once the final out is made in 2015. He was also asked about the fact that Bryce Harper was uh, left out of today's game. He was originally scheduled to get a day off. Rizzo said that 
even though you're scheduled to get a day off, if you lose the night before, you might want one of your regulars in there. You might have been available off the bench, but he was officially unavailable at all today. That is a punishment for this. They said they weighted them according to what they thought, who they thought was more responsible in the incident. Clearly, they thought Papelbon was more, but he did say Bryce Harper had some accountability in the issue. We felt that the discipline on the way we did and not Bryce was unfair and you could see what by the type of discipline that we placed both on both players which was weighted the most and which we thought and we thought they were both equal and equitable ways to handle the situation what do you think of Bryce Harper's role in this do you think that's a fair uh, distribution of punishment there to take Harper out of one game and suspend Papelbon for four considering what each of them did in this well well I, I think so I mean it's pretty clear on the video that just before Papelbon goes and attacks Harper, Harper says something to the effect of, well, let's go. Um, he might have said, let it go, or let's go, uh, regardless. Uh, he was an active participant at that point in the altercation, and this certainly isn't to blame Harper because the blame entirely lies on Papelbon. But uh, most of the time when there's an altercation in the dugout publicly like that, both guys have to get some some uh, sort of retribution about it. So, um, I think it's in, in appropriate that, that they sat Harper out of this game. The unfortunate part about all of this is that it turns out that this is the Nats' last home game of the season. Yesterday was the game off their backs, and obviously, or the shirt off their backs, and 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 today was the makeup game. Um, and since Harper came out of yesterday's game early too, you know the, the fans in Nats Park were not able to uh, give Harper one last ovation for the just you know one of the truly historic. Offensive seasons in, in baseball history, um, the Nats fans didn't get a chance to, to celebrate Harper um, for that. But um, you know that's uh, uh, you know beside almost beside the point at this point. Simply, the Nats had to get this resolution, had to have a swift resolution to it. Uh, the thing that I think is interesting, two points going back to the Papelbon thing, is if there weren't seven games left in the season, how many games Rizzo would have felt was appropriate punishment for Papelbon? Uh, and number two. Um, later on in his comments, Rizzo said, you know, we've sent Papelbon away from the team. We'll meet with him again uh, once the season is over and, and go from there. Um, so Papelbon's not even traveling with the team. I think that's a great idea just to get him out of the clubhouse, get him away from um, from all of what was going on, uh, let him get out and clear his head as much as, um, as, much as Papelbon might be capable of doing that, um, and then meet with the brass once the season is over. Um, I don't think it's a tenable situation to bring Papelbon back in and expect him to be a member of this team next year. But, um, but Grizzo is, is awfully stubborn to the point of being hard-headed at times. Um, and he might say, look, this is my team. They're going to do what I tell them to. And, you know, Pat, we're on the hook for $11 million for Papelbon. He's going to be this team's closer next year. And uh, I really could see it going either way. Personally, I'd rather see Papelbon gone. But obviously the Nats would be trading, you know, for pennies on the dollar if they were to trade Papelbon away as opposed to buying out his contract. So what, I mean, as if this off season wasn't going to be fascinating and, and, and interesting enough, uh, it got even more so now with, that they're going to have to do something about Papelbon. Quick note on the beginning of your comments, Bryce Harper was asked about missing the home finale, which was today, even though it would have been yesterday, if not for the rain out. So yesterday was a regularly, regularly scheduled uh, final game of the season. So they were giving out the jerseys and stuff, but, he said, I have three more years at Nats, at Nats Park, so I think I'm okay. 
uh, playing in front of these fans has been a lot of fun for me, and I have three more years to play. And thankfully, he said, and hopefully a lot longer <laughs> before national fans all have a heart attack playing out his time with the Nats and then moving on to somewhere else. So almost stepped in it there, but def- definitely avoided that one. But my other question on Papelbon for you, if for some reason they decide, well, not for some reason, there's an obvious reason now they decide not to bring him back next year. They've already shown that they're not entirely comfortable or would prefer Drew Storen in a setup role since they brought in two other closers, even though I'd argue with that logic. The general thinking at this point is that they brought in someone and it shows what they think about Drew Storen. Storen is reportedly, according to a number of reports, asked for a trade at this point. How do you lose Papelbon and then lose Storen? What are you doing with your bullpen next year? You have to go out and get a closer, which paying for a closer is not the greatest thing in the world. Do they have that arm in the organization now? I don't see it personally, but what do you think they do going forward if they do make that decision with Papelbon? Well, to be completely honest with you, um, I think the Bridges have been burned with Storen. Um, I know um, I know for certain that there are enough ill feelings from uh, Storen's side of the equation towards the team that I would be shocked if Drew Storen was even in spring training with the Nationals next year. Um like we've already mentioned, the, the Papelbon deal, I, I really see, could see it going uh, either way. Um, let's assume for a moment that they find a taker for Papelbon and the Nats no longer have Storm or Papelbon. Um, I don't think the arm exists in the bullpen as it stands right now that you would entrust the ninth inning to. I mean, um, you know, there, there are already a bunch of free agents in that bullpen anyway. Casey Jansen, uh, you know, just signed for the remainder this year. Um, Matt, Matt Thorne will be a free agent. I mean, you're looking at um, guys like Blake, Blake Trinan and, um, you know, Aaron Barrett's not going to be pitching for a while, so he's not even going to be part of that equation. Um, I really don't know where you go. Um, I, I, you hate the idea um, that they would have to go out and spend money, uh, good money, on a closer figuring, you know, regardless of how they're able to trade Papelbon, they're going to have to eat some of that money. Um, it just it just makes an untenable situation that they would have to go out and give a, you know, 11, 12, 13, $15 million contract uh, to a closer, knowing that they're still going to be paying a bunch of Papelbon's $11 million. Um, it just makes a bad situation even worse. Uh, but I really don't see – I really don't see the other option other than – um, other than Rizzo trying to impose his will and keeping Papelbon as the closer, but uh, just it's just untenable to think about either way, really. At the end of his uh, post-game press conference today, Rizzo was asked about how Matt Williams has done this year. There are six games left at this point before they have to make a decision going forward. He said, I think Matt has persevered through a lot of different injuries, a lot of different ebbs and flows of the season. He's had to juggle maybe as many different lineups as any manager has in baseball and many injuries at different times and groups of players coming up the disabled list at the same time. We're going to make a decision, 2016 decisions, after we finish 2015. He's under contract to be the manager next year. I've said before that I think there are enough uh, excuses they can use, not excuses, but reasons they can use to argue that Matt Williams wasn't given a fair shake this year, that he's a young manager and still learning on the job. What Rizzo closed out saying, uh, asked what Matt Williams could have done better. He said possibly manage the health of the players better, or if we had a more stable lineup, he probably would have done a different job. He didn't have a stable, did not have a stable lineup, so how could he do a good job with hundreds of disabled list days, which is playing into what I've been thinking all along here, that there's an argument to be made that you can't, it's hard to judge Matt Williams on this. We've picked apart his bullpen decisions, some of the in-game decisions he makes, and we've disagreed with, but 
I think there's an argument to be made, and if they want to keep him, if they haven't already decided to get rid of him, I think this is a route they'll probably go, that he didn't have a fair shake with the lineup injuries and games missed that they had this year. Well, I, I think you're right, and this again goes back to uh, Rizzo's stubbornness, that this was his hand-picked manager, really uh, his first hand-picked manager um, as general manager of this team. I mean, he went outside the organization. This wasn't, you know, Riggleman hanging around as, as bench coach for ACTA. This wasn't Davey Johnson coming out of the um, out of the owner's box and the and the you know the the, the special assistant realm. Um, this was the guy that he went outside of the organization to bring in. I mean, this was the first manager that he handpicked. Um, so I could certainly see Rizzo saying, you know, this is my guy. I'm going to stick with him. Uh, contrary to whatever evidence anybody else could could gather um, against um, against the idea of keeping Matt Williams. And look, um, you know, no manager is perfect, and I'm not I'm not here to say that. Um, that you know, even if they, they they brought you know, you know Miller Hudgens or 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 Tony Larusa or Joe Girardi, that that we wouldn't be having the same you know similar discussions about bullpen management. But um, but Matt Williams has proven time and again not so that he's not a smart man, it's just that he's completely inflexible. The things that made him so attractive in the very beginning, the the hour hour blueprint of spring training, et cetera. Uh, has also doomed him as a manager. His complete inflexibility and, and, and ability, or inability, I should say, to think his way out of the box during games. I mean, you know, we've mentioned, you know, just dozens and dozens of episodes of, of, you know, sticking with with ro- roles out of the bullpen as opposed to, uh, you know, going with a matchup or, or pitching a guy, pitching your quote eighth inning guy in the seventh inning, et cetera. Um, you know, it's good to have roles. It's good to have defined roles. Players prefer to know when they're going to pitch um, coming out of the bullpen or when they're going to be expected off the bench or when they're going to get, you know, uh, as, as in Jose Lobaton, when he's going to catch, you know, when he's not when he's not catching every day. But in a cross of 100, 162-game season, that's important for everybody. But in the microcosm of one game, say one game where – you know, you're playing the, the then division leader and you're up seven to one in the, in the sixth inning and you might want to think about pitching somebody out of turn to get a crucial out, Williams has proven that he's incapable of doing that. He will stick with those roles as opposed to deviating in certain special situations. Um, I think there is his biggest failing as a manager. Um, I think the tone deafness that he, that he shows during uh, press conferences uh, you know, yesterday we kept saying Papelbon is my closer as opposed to answering the actual question that was presented. Uh, you know, sports writers um, hate that stuff, and, and, and they're the ones that are going to um, complain the loudest when it comes to um, lobbying for the manager to, to, to be ousted. But the bottom line is you have to perform, you know, you have to judge his performance on the field. Um, it's been very scattershot, and, 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 and the inflexibility that he's shown to me is, is the, the primary reason why you would want to make a change. Uh, the second reason you want to make a change is is Barry Sarluga's article saying, you know, quoting four unnamed players, but four separate players at least saying, you know, Matt Williams doesn't have the respect of the players in the room. And, and at that point, you have to make a change. And, and I really just – I think I think it's inviting more clubhouse problems uh, if Rizzo brings Williams back in light of the Barry Sarluga article. 
if you think it is frustrating, uh, Matt Williams not breaking from his script yesterday, go back and watch Bryce Harper's post-game interview where he just repeated the same uh, answer to every question that was asked to him, eventually breaking for a moment well, I think, when they asked I think, about I think, it, I think in that part, I think Harper was brilliant doing it that way because, yeah, you know, they were trying to goad him into saying something stupid, and he just kept saying the same things over and over again to get them to move on. Yeah, it didn't didn't necessarily work, but he ended up answering one question. And as someone who spent the last 24 hours transcribing Jonathan Papelbon's seven-minute interview, a 10-minute interview with Rizzo, all these things that have gone on the last 24 hours, it was a welcome distraction to watch Max Scherzer try to go for another no-hitter before we wrap up. Uh, I think we got to talk about that really quickly. 12-12 and 12 on the year, a 2.980 ERA, a 2.97 FIP, 1.32 walks per nine, 10.59 K per nine, 2.16, 2.52, 3.79 line against, and 211 two-thirds, but 2-5, two 4-4-1 four, four, ERA, 4.11 FIP, 2.66, 3.11, line against, and 79 and two-thirds in the second half. Uh, 17 home runs after allowing 10 in 132 pitches uh, innings pitch before the All Star break. What do you? How do you assess his season as a whole? And today he goes out there four scoreless and hitless on 59 pitches, five Ks at that point, six scoreless and hitless on 79, up to 98 after working around a walk in the seventh. Opposite opposite field single by Tucker Barnhart with one down in the eighth ends his no hit bid, but ends the season or at least his last home start on a really big note. Uh, Another no-hit bid. Uh, thought for a while there he was going to do it and kind of change the narrative, hopefully, in the nation's capital. But Matt Williams, uh, Max Scherzer's home, last home start, and how do you assess his first year in a big contract that he signed? And nice to see him bounce back generally, I guess, after he struggled so much in the second half to see him go out there and do what everyone knows he's capable of doing. Yeah, no, it was a terrific start today. Um, uh, you know, he's just he was in cruise control the whole day, and, and he has had – um, instances like that in the second half, they've just been kind of few and far between. And I really think, um, as we've mentioned on this show a couple of different times, I think that that five-game stretch he had right before the All-Star break where he pitched, you know, two complete games and two eight-inning games, I really think uh, that might have taken a little starch out of his sail there. Um, you know, and again, in August, um, the team just played so poorly as a whole that, that these starting pitchers, um, you know, I think we're trying to shoulder more of the load than really even they they could have or should have, and um, it ended up, uh, you know, a couple of them ended up having having trouble there down the stretch. But I think taken as a whole, if you look at Scherzer's numbers, um, it, they're exactly what you would want them to be for for um, for the amount of money you laid out. Um, again, some a couple of his starts here in the second half haven't been as impressive, um, but as a complete body of work over 162 games. Um, I think his numbers look terrific, and um, I, I think some of uh, some of his, his his deal this year, you know, originally was he had a knack on him that he was a six inning guy, um, and and by trying to stretch himself into more of a eight inning guy, and with his couple of complete games that he had, I think um, I think that might have worn him out a little bit there uh, during August, but but we saw him back in September. I have a couple more quality starts, and certainly he finished on a high note today. Uh, you know, just a tremendous outing against a another um, another team playing out the string today. Yeah, I think you might see some of those starts earlier in the season next year be cut back a little bit more than they were when he was probably pressing, and Matt Williams wanted to let him go out there and do everything he could early, but 
maybe you save some of those innings for the end of the season, save some of the pitches he's got in his arm for that point too, and hope that you're competing at the end. And one other note from today, I, I did like seeing Anthony Rendon at third, uh, Trey Turner at short today. I hope that's the opening day uh, left side of the infield, though we all know there's going to be questions about when Trey Turner starts his major league season next year. But it was really nice to see the two of them out there, and they were making some nice plays. Trey Turner in particular made a really rangy play and strong throw up the middle. I know there's some questions about his arm, but looks good to me. A little high throw, but a really nice play by him there. And just nice to see Trey Turner go out there and show off his speed for an entire game today. Yeah, that was certainly fun. And it's going to be fascinating to see what Rizzo does uh, in the infield there, whether um, whether he tries Escobar at second, whether he dangles Escobar as a trade chip after his 300-plus season this year. Um, and maybe they'll end up trading Escobar for a bullpen piece, which would be um, highly ironic and pretty funny. But um, you know whether they try Escobar at second or Espinosa at second, uh, or they go outside the organization to bring in a second baseman. Um, just there are there are a lot of questions out there, um, you know, with, with this lineup and this rotation and this bullpen for next year. And um, this is really going to be a fascinating and and quite honestly a make or break off season for Mike Rizzo. Yeah, considering what uh, you know Escobar was when they acquired him and what they could trade him as now, you would definitely be selling about as high as you can get on him right now and see what they could get if they were interested in that. But I'd kind of prefer they keep him around and keep all the infielders they can, especially with all the injuries they had this season and what they had to deal with. But that's all going to be discussed in a week from now. They have to finish out the season first, 80-76 today after the win. That's nightly sponsored by the District Sports page and federalbaseball.com. Start a Set in uh, Atlanta tomorrow night, and we'll talk to you after that one, sir. Sounds good. Have a good night.